Have you or someone you know experienced challenges with downsizing and estate liquidation? Handling a loved one's belongings is a big job. Today we're diving into the world of estate liquidation with Amanda Giustiani. So get ready for some insights into downsizing, family dynamics, and even some spooky stories. This is the Executor Health Podcast, the show for people who want the sense of security knowing all their affairs are in order. Avoid the stress and anxiety of what could happen to your estate, to your assets, and to your family when you're no longer here. Now here's your host, David Eady. With me today is Amanda Giustiniani. She is a third-generation auctioneer with a passion for educating families and real estate professionals about the benefits and hazards of downsizing and estate liquidation process. Together with her husband, she's owned and operated an estate liquidation company for many years. To help families navigate the downsizing and estate liquidation process, Amanda has written an online course that walks families through everything they need to know. She's also written a comprehensive binder system for families called My Final Gift. This step-by-step guide is designed to help family members navigate what they need to know once a loved one is gone or can no longer speak for themselves. Amanda, really, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. An auctioneer. You are a third generation auctioneer specializing in liquid estate liquidation. How did how, how did we get here? What's been the journey? End up? <laughs> so yeah, so my grandfather was um he was a tobacco auctioneer predominantly by trade, but there was a very small window of time through the year for him to to do that even though he traveled from state to state. I'm doing it here in the U.S. And in the wintertime, he would liquidate personal property estates. So I do remember as a child being that those were typically outside. They were public, um, you know, just watching that whole circus happen. And then as I got a little older, I think I was probably in high school. My father got his auctioneer's license and he had a weekly household auction that he ran for a long time. So I would help with that set up and display and work the auction. And then my brother and I went to auction school and got our license. And my brother still calls bids today. He does mostly livestock. Um, I, however, don't call bids. I, I, that's my least favorite part of the auction process. Um, but we do predominantly online auctions now. We have done live auctions, but right now the pandemic changed everything. Right. And we are doing strictly online auctions. So when you say the so, bid, yeah. so we, is that like 29, 39, 49, that sort of, yep. so you That's can do that? Calling. I can do that, but I laugh and say, it's a lot like if Michael Jordan's daughter played basketball, she may be great, but she's not going to be Michael Jordan. And my grandfather, the song just fell out of his mouth. Like he, it was just second nature for me. It's very nerve wracking. I get really nervous when I do that. I can talk till the cows come home I, I can talk to anyone um but standing in front of a group of people doing that it's just very different um there's a job within the auction process called the ring man right. so that's my favorite job the ring man stands out and actually looks for bids so while the auctioneer's behind me calling bids i'm standing there looking and i say yep 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 and then the bid keeps going up and up and up so that's my favorite part of an actual live auction as being a ring man it's in it's in the it's in your blood it's in the family what are some of the common challenges that families face when it comes to downsizing and estate liquidation well i think they're probably a slightly different with each 
thing. But the biggest overlapping thing is they wait too long to figure out what to do with the personal property. So A, if you're an executor and you're dealing with an estate, a lot of times the house is the the largest asset that that family member had. But if you don't worry about what's in the house until after the house is sold, you run into a lot of issues. Um, the stuff is typically holding the home hostage. So you need to come up with a solid plan of what to do with those items. So I think waiting and feeling like, okay, we're just going to donate it all or throw it all away is a mistake because the average home, at least here in the U.S., the average home has somewhere between ten dollars to $20,000 worth of content, resellable contents within it. And that's a pretty low average. So to just give all of that revenue away is kind of silly. Yeah. Um, when you're downsizing, the same kind of thing to just donate because Marie Kondo told us all, if it doesn't bring us joy to just let it go and you should let it go. It shouldn't stay there if, if you're not using it and you don't like it or want it anymore. Um, but you can't sell it. There are options out there to to generate some revenue so that if you are downsizing, it helps pay for your move. It helps pay for, you know, new flooring in your home or painting that has to be done prior to listing, that kind of stuff. So I love being able to tap into that for people. I tell them there's cash hiding in your closet and you don't even know it. Yes. So I think the, the biggest thing is just not. It's interesting that you said that the executor kind of waits to the last minute, but a lot of times either the the executor is probably overwhelmed by the the whole responsibility oh, of what's got to get absolutely. done and yes and on top of that you, you when you're talking about all the contents in the home you know a lot of times now beneficiaries or a lot of times maybe you've seen it where people start going into the home and starting helping themselves to the contents for the executor mm -hmm. can get there and maybe the executor has mm -hmm. to change the locks and that sort of thing so it's, mm -hmm. it's another job mm -hmm. that the executor probably didn't expect that people would think it's just going to be a free for all. Absolutely. And one of the things with the, the clients that we work with, I highly advise every executor change the locks on the house because you don't know who your parent gave a key to. You know, oftentimes, especially if you're not local, there's a neighbor watching out for them. There's a neighbor helping them. And I have seen, even with what we do, we would go in and set up for a tax sale in a home. And then overnight, things just disappeared. And I'm like, what is happening? Where did it go? And in one case, we found out the neighbor had a key. And she came in and she was like, well, I gave that to her for Christmas like 10 years ago. I'm just going to take it back. Oh. And I'm like, well, but it's not yours. It's not how this works. Um, and it's happened repeatedly. Um, so I highly suggest as an executor, change the locks. You don't know who has a key to that home. <clears throat> and then you can control that kind of behavior. You had mentioned before when you were talking about downsizing that people say, you know, if it doesn't bring you joy to get rid of it. But let's say someone's gone now and the executor has all this stuff that belonged to somebody who they believed, brought, uh, you know, the stuff they had brought them joy. But Mm -hmm. want to either give it away and nobody wants it or you're trying to sell it there's there's no value to it what do you say what do you say to people that, when people don't want their grandmother's stuff or mm -hmm. you know any of that uh you know what's inside the, the contents of the home so i say first of all let's back up so, and talk about why because a lot of times families take it personally if they talk to their family and they're like hey what do you want for my stuff i'm downsizing um and they're like i i don't I'm good. I don't think I want anything. Or I just want that bowl that you used to make brownies in. I don't need all your furniture. 
a couple things are happening there and it's generational. So with the baby boomers, when their parents downsized or their grandparents downsized, there were a lot more children and a lot less stuff. So families just naturally absorbed the contents of that home. Um, if it was sold, it sold for a lot because there were a lot of baby boomers fighting for a small amount of items that right. reminded them of their childhood. It had some kind of sentimental value. It might not be something their grandmother owned, but their grandmother had something similar. Now in the reverse, baby boomers being the economic drivers that they are, they started the toy industry and made it boom. They made the secondary education industry boom. And now they're making the resale market go down because they are flooding the market with the same kind of stuff because now they have less children and more stuff. Yeah. So they're all flooding the market. It's making the value of, of some things go down, but you can always, the value in homes come in the strangest places. So I highly suggest consult a professional, find an auction company or an estate liquidator in your area and talk to three of them and say, okay, what do you think? The families come in, we've removed everything we want, or we've tagged everything that we want. This is what's left. Is it enough to have a, an auction or a tag sale? They'll let you know. I tell everyone, talk to three people because you haven't been through this process before. You don't know if you're comparing apples to oranges or not. So talk to three people, get three different opinions, and then determine what's your best course of action. Sometimes your best course of action is just have someone come in, buy it all, make it go away quickly. Because again, it's holding your house hostage. Sometimes people want to do that, but that is not in their best interest. I, I had a realtor a couple years ago. She called me. She said, Amanda, I've got this home. I need to turn it over quickly. Um, the gentleman passed away. He's got two sons who are his executor, um, executors. They're both in their 20s. They don't know where to even begin and start with this for $5,000. You come in and buy everything in this home. I said, okay, let me, let me go look. And as soon as I got there, I was like, hold up. We have to slow down a second. I can buy everything in this home for $5,000, but that is not in your client's best interest. This house was completely packed. It was about a 3,600 square foot home on a golf course. Every single Bose item that was ever produced was in this home leather furniture, high-end kitchen appliances, just, it, it was a beautiful home. So we ended up doing a three-day tax sale there. And we, the gross revenue for that sale was a little over $32,000. So th those boys, the house got cleaned out so it could go on the market, but they also had some revenue from it. Um, so just get a professional opinion. Don't feel like nothing in here is of any value. Yeah. Um, but there's, because there's, unless you're unless you're talking to a professional, you you really don't know. Well, it again, um, it comes back to well, it depends on the age or the the um, the experience. Because a lot of exec executors might figure I could you know we'll we'll get the family together and we'll just go through it and you know what we don't want we'll just throw out and we'll do it ourselves. But on the other hand. Um, you know, you're saying talk to a professional because there's probably hidden value there. So if an executor says, you know what, you know, maybe it's, it, it is in my best interest. You're saying talk to three 
different companies. What 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 are some of the things that an executor should look for when they're going to hire a, an estate um, liquidation company or, or someone such as so, you? A couple of things you need to think about, at least here in the States. Um, to be an auctioneer um, here, I had to go to auction school. I had to pass a state board exam. I had to pass a criminal background check. Ooh. And I have to do continuing education every single year. So just like a real estate agent, those are all the things that um, have to happen. There's also a governing body. There's a board that oversees every auctioneer in the state of North Carolina. And there is a board in every state in the U.S. Um, so if the client has a question or feels like something's not going quite right, they have a body to go to and say, okay, what does the law say here? What? I don't think this was right. And there's a board there to look after them. Um, there is not a state in the U.S., at least, that regulates the tag sale industry. That does not mean the industry is rampant with thieves and people stealing from you. It's just a different setup. So, A, you have to decide which one of those in your area is going to best fit for you and do your research, especially on the tag sale part, because you need to read the reviews. You need to ask for referrals. Um, part of that um, interview process is, are you licensed? Are you insured? Because especially if it's a tag sale, they're walking through your home. If someone falls and gets hurt, who, where does that liability lie? If they don't have liability insurance, it's going to lie on you, but you're not guaranteed your homeowner's insurance is going to cover that because there was a commercial operation happening within your home during that time. And, so, it, becomes, and it becomes one more one more headache for the executor because now exactly. I got somebody in there tagging the house and then they get hurt. So, and, you know, now mm -hmm. it's another responsibility of, well, how, how am I going to make this right? Absolutely. So if you hire a professional company that's properly insured, a, you know, they're a company, they're not a hobbyist. They're not someone that says, Ooh, I could do this. I mean, you know, right. and they're just doing it part-time. If you, you find a company that's bonded, licensed and insured, they are an actual company and they're behaving as such. Yeah. Um, so that's a huge question to ask. Why do you believe it's important to have all the personal documents and household information in one place and event you need to evacuate, evacuate, pass away, or, or you can't even speak for yourself anymore? Because I've seen so many families that were going on a scavenger hunt for information. You know, when you, if you're military and you, you want your loved one to have a military burial, military burial, um, you need those discharge papers. If you don't know where they are, you can't prove that. There's, there's so many different documentations that you need for so many different things. And a lot of times parents will make a list. Hey, I've got these papers. This is where they are. But if it's not all together in one centralized location, regardless of whether you have a list of what you need or not, you still have to find it. Um, I worked with a family one time that their father had an external storage unit, like at a storage facility. They had no idea. So not only did they not know what was in it, they didn't know he had it. They didn't know where the key was for it. They didn't have the code to get in the gate. There was all this information that they didn't have. So you can't complete the puzzle without all of the information. So if it's all there and it's all in one place and a lot of 
um, the planning books are fine. They're great financial wise because you have information for all of their accounts and all of that kind of stuff. This one has all of that, but it also has that household stuff. So, you know, there, there was a time, especially depression era or products of the depression people, they hid money. Well, if your parents had money, there needs to be some kind of documentation and people really hate filling that question out too. They hate saying, Hey, I keep hidden cash here. And I completely understand that, but you need to at least have that conversation with at least one of your children, because if not, someone like myself is going to find it. And if you haven't hired a trustworthy person, what are they going to do with that cash? Is your family going to get it or are they going to pocket it? Because no one really knows it's there. Um, So there's a lot of questions like that kind of stuff. Um, that really narrows down. Yes, I have firearms. This is how many they I have. This is where they're stored. This is how you get in that safe. There's a lot of personal property questions within that um, the My Final Gift binder system, so that the whole puzzle fits and everything they need to know is right there. All of the documents. There's pouches for them to actually store those documents in that binder system in the event you have to, you know evacuate for a natural disaster. I live in the southern part of the U.S., so we have hurricanes. So in the event that you have to evacuate, there's one binder to pick up that has all of your information in it. There's a place to hold the keys and all of that. Clearly, it's, and what I always say on here in the show is that you need to have the conversations that matter. But why do people not have the conversations? Why won't they say, hey, um, I've got that, that locker and oh, here's the key. What What's holding them back? Have you come across why people or have they told you or family members told you why <laughs> they never had this conversation? I think there's a variety of reasons. Um, you know, one thing I learned early on in this is everyone's family is not the same. Um, I grew up with two amazing parents and it was a great life. Everyone didn't grow up that way. Um, So sometimes they don't have those conversations because they just simply don't have that kind of relationship. There is a segment of the population that's like, I'm dead. I'm not going to worry about it. Let them figure it out. You know, so that happens. I also think people don't want to think about dying. They don't want to think about the fact that they're not going to be here one day and someone's going to have to take care of it. But every single one of us are going to encounter at least one person in your life that's going to pass away unexpectedly. And have to handle something. You might not be the executor, but you will be part of this process one day. And I truly feel like, and the reason I named it my final gift is it is such a gift when parents take the time to sit down and say, hey, this is what I have. This is what you need to know. Um, These are the important parts. You know, we, I did a a sale, gosh, probably in the nineties for this lady. And it was the first time I'd seen it. And she put an envelope on the back of every piece of furniture in her home. And there was someone's name on that envelope. And in the envelope was a letter. Hey, I would like you to have this piece. You can sell it. You can keep it. I don't really care what you do with it. But this is why I wanted you to have it. And she wrote a letter to them. And I thought, how precious that is. My mom, I was 32 when my mom passed away. And what I would have given to have a letter from her saying, Hey, you know, this particular piece, I have this memory of you with this piece or around this piece, or you used to keep your toys here, you know, whatever. It doesn't have to be furniture, but, um, 
So to have a binder system where you can actually leave letters to loved ones, you can actually do those things. I just think to me, that's precious and priceless. Absolutely. And it's on the flip side, when you're talking about, you know, um, you know, the, the individual left envelopes, you know, on the, the furniture and stuff like that. I have a friend of mine, he's not talking to his brother and they, they haven't spoken for years and it's because of Royal Dalton, China. Um, the mother had left the Royal Dalton, China to his wife and they were in the home without a professional and they were, you know, taking things and everything. And the brother came to him and said, Hey, I'd like to have the Royal, the Royal Dalton, China and give it to my, my, um, to my daughter, his niece. So he said, well, go talk to my wife because uh, mom wanted her to have it. He went to the wife and she says, no, your mom wanted me to have it. Again, it came down to mother should have had a conversation because he came back and said some very uncomplimentary things about his um, about the wife. And they haven't spoken for over 25 years over Royal Dalton, China. Right, right. Yeah. Which is not necessary. It's just stuff. When the executor has you come in, you're there. Is it often a lot of people, a lot of times family members will come in and say, hey, mom wanted me to have this or, you know, this is this is my favorite. You know, you mentioned about the you know, the bowl that they used to uh, you make, uh, you know, the baking, um, make cakes and stuff. Is that common where there's a lot of family fights over stuff? Um, yes and no. So I've dealt with all different kinds of families. A lot of times they do that kind of fighting on the side. And right. I just get to sell where the dust settles, you know. Um, but I do tell people a lot of times if you're going through with your, your family, a good solution with deciding who gets what is have the, the executor has, let's say, brother number one go, go through with his blue post-it notes and he puts a post-it note on the things that he's interested in then brother number two goes through with his yellow post-it notes and he puts a post-it note on the things he's interested in and then sister goes through with the pink ones and then the ones that have multiple colors on them are the ones you know you need to have a discussion about or I've had some families that I've been hired just to do what's called equitable distribution so I go in and the things that they're all interested in I put a value of what I would put a price on it, you know, at a tag sale. And then they decide, okay, we're going to distribute this equitably. If this is the basic value of the item, the pile of items that, you know, brother number one is getting, brother number two, what's the value of yours? And sister, what's the value of yours? Um, so that it can be distributed equitably. I kind of feel like if everyone feels like it's been as fair as possible. There's less fighting, but when one person kind of comes in and takes control of a situation and no, 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 I want this, I want that. And when mom and dad didn't have those conversations with them and you don't really know, or you're, you're questioning, did my mom really say that? Yeah. yeah. Whereas if, if you have a solution and it's written down, like in my will, for example, um, you can see art on the wall behind me. We have a ton of art in our home. We, we love art. It's not valuable art. It's just things that bring us joy. Sure. My children know that they each get three pieces. You can pick three pieces that you want. I do not in any way want you guys fighting over it, but the rest of it is to be sold and the money just split equitably. 
because I, I don't want my children not to speak to one another because of China. That's silly. Um, well, in my case, so we yeah. we had to end up fighting. Um, you know, there was three of us. Parents didn't have the conversation with us, and so we ended up in court for for uh, seven years. And uh, yeah. this is over fifty thousand dollars in lawyers' fees, and my parents had the will, but they didn't have the conversation like you've had with your with your kids. Are there different ways to liquidate the contents of a loved one's estate? There are. There's several. So the first one's going to be a tag sale method. That's where a company will come in. They will set your home up a lot like a store. They're going to price everything that's in it, and then they're going to invite the public in to purchase those items just like in a store. They're going to shop. Typically what you find is everything's full price on the first day, half price on the second day. If it runs a third day, it'll be 75% off. Um, so typically prices start a little bit higher and then work their way down throughout the weekend. The next option is going to be an auction. So that will either be an on-site situation where they're either photographing it for an online auction, running it online, and the people coming to your home to pick it up, or it'll be an actual live auction where things typically get pulled out into your front yard and auctioned on-site. Um, those prices typically start lower and then go higher. Um, or they will come in and decide what they would like to sell and move it to an auction facility or an auction house. Um, in For my downsizing clients, um, that would be, they would send me pictures and then bring me the couple of boxes of things they're ready to just let go of. But if you're doing a whole estate with an executor, a lot of times the auction company themselves will come in and decide what they wanna sell. Um, the next option, and I think it should be a, I don't have another option. I need this stuff gone like tomorrow would be a buyout auction, a buyout option. And that's where you work with a dealer and that dealer then turns around and they will give you one price for the complete contents of the home and they'll take it off or they come in and do what's called cherry picking and they will cherry pick the best of the best and give you a price for that. And then you have to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of it. Um, I will caution cherry picking. Like sometimes if you call an auction company, even will come in and say, Hey, you know, I'm not interested in the whole house, but I am interested in X, Y, and Z. Understand that if I come in as an auctioneer and I, I take the best of the best, then you could have a hard time getting rid of the rest because I've taken all of the good stuff which is taking the value of the wholesale down. Um, so you kind of, that's why it's important to talk to more than one person and get a good idea of what's happening. Is there a best time of the year to have a tag sale or a state auction? So I think that's a regional question as far as where you are. So at least here in the States and probably in Canada with the weather, it just kind of depends on where you are regionally. Um, because I'm in the southern part of the U.S., we can have tag sales here and auctions here year-round. That's typically not a problem, but it is a regional thing. There are certain parts of the country that during the winter, they just don't have any tag sales because people won't come. They won't stand in line and that kind of stuff um, waiting when it's super cold or wet or rainy or snowy.
Yeah. So I guess a lot of times you're working with executors, but they're also because you say you want to get the contents out because that's holding back the sale of the home. Where does a, a realtor play in the process? How do you work with them? Yeah, so we, we work with a ton of realtors. In fact, a lot of the presentations that I do are to real estate organizations on how they could best work with a liquidation company. Because if a realtor hasn't worked with a liquidation company, a lot of times they're like, let's just donate it all. I've got a clean out guy. He'll come and clean it all out. And we're just going to sell the home. So we really do have to work hand in hand with one another um, to do what's best for the client. And sometimes I meet with a realtor and I'm like, you know what, this stuff's not worth holding this listing for four weeks or six weeks until someone can liquidate it. Um, it's not going to generate enough revenue for that family or please slow down. You need to do a sale, um, have a sale for this family because it will generate the revenue that they need to do the upgrades that they would like to do before the listing. So there's a lot of communication that has to happen with that. Unfortunately, not every realtor has worked with a liquidation company, so they don't see that value. If you are looking at your home and you do feel like there's things that are sellable there, it is important to work with a real estate agent that, that understands how that process works as well. Yeah. You've worked with, and it came to me, and I was thinking about, I knew we were going to have this conversation, is that you've worked in, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of homes. There's got to be at least mm. one haunted house you must have worked in. I don't know. Oh, what. so many. So many haunted Whoa, houses. Well, I wasn't expecting so many. I was expecting, <laughs> oh, there could be one or two. So many. So first oh, off. Oh, yeah, no. It's... How did you know it was haunted? Well, I truly believe that it affects everyone differently. And some of them, it's a lot more blatant than others. But at least for me, and the longer that I'm in it, the more that I can recognize it. And it's it's a feeling. So like one house I was in, um, I tell this story frequently. I was in the restroom. It was an old, not really Victorian, but probably turn of the century, you know, a house a little bit newer than Victorian. And I'm in the bathroom off of this parlor room and I hear this piano playing like not chopsticks, like concert piano. And I'm like, that is so bizarre. My husband and I were the only people there. Neither one of us play piano. I hadn't actually seen a piano in this home. So I come out of the restroom and I'm like, John, have you, were you just playing the piano? And he goes, no, have you seen a piano? And I said, no, that's, that's really weird. Okay. And I didn't think anything about it again. The weekend came, we did a tag sale in this home and I'm standing in that parlor room off of the restroom. And this lady comes to me and she goes, oh, I have so many great memories in this house. And I was like, really? That's fantastic. And she said, yeah, I learned how to play piano in this room. And I was like, I'm sorry. And she said, the lady who lived in this home played piano she taught everyone in this town how to play piano she was a piano instructor and I was like she is still playing her piano I promise you that but that's something that didn't affect my husband at all but it affected me but there's been other times that you know of course lights flicker intercom systems within the home come on all by themselves and their sounds you can hear what sounds like furniture dragging across the floor on the upstairs floor um, we had this one house where the water would turn on like full blast, not drip like a leaky faucet, like full blast about to spill over the sink. Um, and I thought my husband had left the faucet on in the restroom. So I came out, I turned it off and I came out and I was like, John, why did you leave 
the faucet on in the bathroom like that. And he's like, what are you talking about? And I said, you didn't turn the faucet on the bathroom. He's like, I haven't been in the bathroom all day. And so he walks by like 15 minutes later, faucets on full blast again. And he goes, Amanda, you came to me about the faucet, but you didn't turn it off. I was like, I absolutely turned it off. It was about to overflow. And he's like, that's bizarre. So so when this happens, these sort of incidents, do you and John start tagging very quickly as if we need to leave or you just continue on or you're you're good with, you know, is is are the <laughs> ghosts trying to let you say, hey, you're in my home, you need to leave or they're just letting you know that they're there because, uh, you know, you're, you're invading their space. Yeah. So, well, not only am I invading their space, I'm digging through their stuff. Um, so it's a, it's a pretty personal thing that I'm doing. You work a lot um, faster when things happen? Actually, no, I can say out of all, all the times it's happened, it's, it's an uneasy feeling to know that you're not alone, but at no point have I felt threatened or in danger or anything like that. Um, I have found that if I at least acknowledge it, it gets a lot better. I had this one house I was working in all by myself and I had a radio that I would take from room to room because I would do a room at a time and just play it. And it, it had, you know, just whatever on it worked brilliantly for a week. No problem. I get to this woman's kitchen, which I did last. And the woman was deceased. The husband had moved to assisted living and um, I start going through the kitchen and all of a sudden the lights in the kitchen are flickering. The radio's going all the way up and all the way down. Ooh. It doesn't work anymore. It's I'm like, <sighs> so I stood in her kitchen and out loud, I said, Miss Pittman, I am here to help your family. I don't mean any harm. I am here to help them. They need some help. Please let me do my job. The radio immediately came back on and nothing else happened the rest of the time. Wow. So it, yeah, it, <laughs> it's a strange thing to not be afraid, but it's not, I knock on wood. <laughs> there hasn't been a, wow. It, that's that's a lot of times that I felt that wow, way. Wow, that's uh wow. I, I I'm I'm speechless because because I was expecting you to say, Oh yeah, once or twice, but you're just like reeling off the stories one after another. I'm like, okay, so this is well also this is normal for I, you I've and John. This. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. And yeah. I've done this for so long that th there, you know, I have a lot of stories because I've done a lot of houses. Right. Um, but they're not the where it happens is not always like a Victorian home. It's, right. you know, sometimes that home, Miss Pittman's home was probably built in the late seventies. It is what it is. It's just part of the job. And, and you learn to trust your gut. Like there, there was one house I'm remembering now in the nineties that there was one room that I was like, absolutely not, not going in that room. I don't, nope. If you want me to sell things in that room, you will bring it downstairs. So, so, <laughs> so, so you do have a line. There's a line that you will draw. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And right. you have right. to listen. You have to listen to your gut and, and go with that. Um, and yeah. that specific house, I know I would okay. not. Okay. Since the pandemic, all industries have changed. And I guess it would be the same thing in the estate liquidation industry. Have you seen any changes or trends that's coming? And is it going to make it easier on executors or it's going to be a lot harder? The biggest trend that I've seen is more companies are going online. So 
there are currently websites that the tag sale industry people were using to advertise that now they can do, you know, a hybrid, they could sell part of it online and then do a tag sale for the rest of it. Um, there are auction companies that ran, I, I know a guy here locally that his family has run a weekly Saturday night auction every Saturday night for probably 50 years. Um, he grew up in it and that's what he does. But when the pandemic hit, they had to regroup because people were not spending money that way. So now they're doing online and their online is typically um, one auction a month. And he's told me repeatedly, I won't go back to live auctions because the the online auctions are just working so much better for me. Um, we as a company, I won't do a tag sale now. I am strictly doing online because it's just working out better. We're selling more items. The revenue's higher and the liability's a lot less. Um, my husband and I have a lot more control over our time. So, um, and less, and less chance of meeting ghosts. Well, I still have to be in the home. So we're still like this week, you know, we're in the home photographing a a beautiful sale that'll go up next week. Um, both of these people are alive, so I haven't had to worry about ghosts there, but okay. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about some of the resources you can, people can find on your website and who are they for? Mm-hmm. So the website that um, we use for basic education, we built, it's called liquidationlifeguards.com. Um, and on that website, you're going to find our seven video course um, that you could take. It's basically teaching you all of the different methods of liquidation, but it's also teaching you red flags to look out for questions to ask before hiring a company. And it gives you the answers to those questions, um, which is pretty important. Um, so you can do that course as all as one, or you can break it up and purchase the individual parts that are most important to you. We also touch on, Hey, the best way to have that conversation with your family about what they want, um, how to, if you are the executor and you're having to go through someone's home, what's the best practices for, for doing that. Um, if you're just downsizing, what's the best practices for that? Um, so that course touches on that. On that website, liquidationlifeguards.com, you can also buy My Final Gift, which is the binder system that we have. Okay. So, so yeah. once again, g- give me the the URL where the people can find mm-hmm. you. It's, it's liquidationlifeguards.com. Okay. And there's also a segment on there because I do consulting as well. People can, you know, sign up for a, a consulting time with me and we can talk about their situation and come up with solutions. I've had some families that I work with, they hire me to just find a company, interview these people, find a company and tell me who to hire. Hmm. Um, or we just talk about, hey, these are the contents I have. Are they worth my time? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, the work you do, um, is making the job of an executor a lot more easier because a lot of people are just overwhelmed with the responsibility. Mm-hmm. And it's great that, uh, you know, what you do and also what John does, um, the two of you are helping a lot of people, helping a lot of families get over the uncomfortable and difficult time in their lives, especially after losing a, a loved one. So Amanda Giustiani. No. Very good. Is it good? Okay. <laughs> it is good, yeah. Okay, thank you. I've I practiced. Um, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be here on the Executor Help podcast. 
And uh, hopefully we can have you on because I, I'd like to get some more ghost stories and um, and, and hear a little bit more about uh, more of your work. So uh, once again, thanks a lot for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Can you do me a favor? Show some love for the podcast by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Can you share it with your community? Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want more information, free resources, or just want to get in touch, go to davideady.com. Until next time, thanks for listening. 